Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on Sherlock's VIP club. From restaurants, bars and hotels to beauty, wellness and shopping, Sherlock's partners with some of London's best destinations and hottest brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. So why not sign up? It'll cost you just £5 a month or £50 for the year. Use your card once or twice and you'll have made that amount back in no time. For more information, visit sheerluxvip.com. In 2006, Holly Tucker MBE co-founded Not on the High Street from her kitchen table. Seeded from the idea to bring together unique, stylish and never-before-seen products, she grew the online marketplace to employ over 200 people and generate more than £600 million in sales from over 200,000 products. Awarded an MBE for her services to small business and enterprise, Holly has gone on to establish Holly & Co, a small business advice and inspiration platform. Philanthropist, author of two best-selling books, and UK ambassador for creative small businesses. Holly Tucker, welcome to your Sherlock's success story. Thank you for having me. So, can we go back to the beginning of your career? Where did it all start? You didn't go to university. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you go no, to university? No, I didn't go to university. I was a bit in a hurry. My nickname was Holly Hurricane, so I didn't go to uni. What I did is I had a summer job in advertising from the age of 15. On the summer of my 15th birthday, I spent at a publicist advertising agency, and on my 16th and on my 17th. And on the day of my A-level results, my mum drove me to have my first interview where I had the choice of actually going to do an art degree or I was going to go after a job in the advertising agency publicist as their junior, junior, junior tea maker. <laughs> and on the day of my A-level results, I got that job and I made that decision that I was going to go to what I now call the University of Life. So I joined and celebrated my 18th birthday in the office and I've worked ever since. I knew you were going to say it's because I was in a hurry to get going. <laughs> so publicist, how long were you there for? I was there for five years. I became one of the youngest account managers in London, celebrating my 21st birthday, working on the L'Oreal account, Renault account, lots of different things, Rolf Dalton. And I worked with this team of women who were amazing and we were called Perfume Corner. Not that that would be allowed these days, <laughs> but we were called Perfume Corner because it was a group of women. And you probably didn't mind. At the time, no, no. And as much as everyone's making 40 cigarettes a day, you know, it's a very, very different era. <laughs> yeah. And what did that five years teach you? It was really the University of Life. I had an amazing mentor called Diane Kennedy, who recently actually passed. And she was just like a work mum. She basically whipped me into shape. So I'm dyslexic. I found it very, very difficult to work. I mean, I just literally come out of school and I went straight into fully pumping advertising agency. So she just taught me work ethic. I was first in, last out. Last out meant two o'clock in the morning, in at six. Never complain drink lots of wine and manage to work after drinking wine. That was a very, very good lesson. (laughs) And she just taught me really how to get my head down to the work and succeed and battle on through because I was dealing with creatives. I was dealing with 
um, very senior people at L'Oreal and she felt that I could do it and I just took that courage and I ran with it. I'm interested that you had a mentor. Did you approach her and say, will he be my mentor? Oh, no, she was my boss. Happened? She was your boss. Oh, my, okay. no, she was like boss, boss, okay. boss. I was junior, junior. I was But she became girl. your mentor, so that's Oh, cool. yeah, absolutely, yeah, she did. Okay, so five years at Publicis and yes. then why the move? I got headhunted actually to work at Condé Nast where I went and worked on Brides magazine and I then moved from that after a few years. It was an amazing experience. I absolutely loved it. I worked within sales and I found my forte as a saleswoman and adored it. I met some amazing people there, but that industry wasn't necessarily the right place for me. And so you left? I left that. Actually, I got headhunted to work with first.com boom with a company called coolwhite.com, which was the first wedding portal where you were going to be able to, as bride and groom, order your products that you wanted on your list or arrange them on your list. But you could also, it was like curating amazing venues, curating amazing florists, curating all these things. Very, very smart idea, actually. Mm. And it was all pay-per-click at that point. So people would advertise and it based on pay-per-click, you would spend X amount of money per click. So I was selling clicks and I was getting on board all the amazing companies I've been working with, brides. But unfortunately, you know, technology wasn't there yet. Mm. And then unfortunately, in my life, I was dealing with a lot. I was going through a divorce at the age of 23. I had a brain tumour, everything just imploded. So I took a step out and went freelance. And then I would troubleshoot magazines that were having hard times on sales in their magazines. Mm -hmm. And I would travel around working with lots of amazing magazines like the Waitrose magazine, etc, etc. And I would just help the sales team. And that just worked while I was in recovery, you know, health wise and mental as well. So you got better? Yes, and I started to heal from uh, quite a traumatic experience. And it was at that point that I realised I needed to become creative again. And it was the eureka moment I had, well, I thought it was a eureka moment, of making a vegetable wreath in my little flat in Chiswick that I thought was going to solve all problems. So it was after your brain tumour and yep. this, this yep. difficult time you went through, the Northern yes. High Street came to fruition. Yes, it did, but it wasn't a vegetable wreath and then not on the high street. So but, what happened Well, there? I created these wreaths. I thought that the wreaths were a phenomenal idea that I was going to become a millionaire overnight. <laughs> and so I wanted to be creative. So I thought that I would sell all these wreaths at the Christmas fair in Chiswick. And actually, I found out that there wasn't a fair in Chiswick. So I put on the first Chiswick Christmas fair. I had the best trestle table with my wreaths. I'd actually arranged the fair. So another hundred stands were going there because I thought that that was the best way of selling if I arranged the fair. Of world domination with vegetable wreaths. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And from that point, I then quit all my publishing work and I put on events and fairs. So I did this across the country for two, three years. And the Chiswick one was a success then? You got lots of people That was a huge success. They loved the businesses that I picked to be under this roof. So for two, three years, that's what I did. And then after that, I realised that it was a bit archaic selling these unbelievable brands or small business brands under the town hall roof, mm -hmm. that the town hall roof needed to become the internet. Mm -hmm. I'd actually found my partner for life, Frank. We're celebrating 16 years together. My last fair was in the December. I had Harry in the January. And in the March, 
I wrote to my ex-boss, Sophie, who was in Perfume Corner, and said, hey, I've got an idea to uh, change up the town hall roof to the internet. I want to bring all these people together that are not on the high street, but not written as a name. Would you be interested in joining me? And she said yes, uh, within 24 hours. And so with a 12-week-old baby, with a business partner, we forged ahead to build um, Not on the High Street. And tell me a bit about Sophie. Why Sophie? Did you feel that you had really complementary yeah. skill sets? Yeah. Um, are you very different people? Yeah, basically, it's a beautiful journey that we experience because we'd always been work colleagues. And that's something I always say to someone, you know, not always friendships will work in business. But because we would always work within business together and we weren't going to each other's houses at the weekend, our relationship was purely professional. And so, A, I needed a business partner. I couldn't take this on by myself. I'd just done three years working with small businesses that I actually needed those complementary skills. And, you know, it sums it up that I'm dyslexic and can sell probably ice to an Eskimo, I've been told. And Sophie can actually critique the English dictionary and probably find mistakes in it. The The, dream team. The dream team came together and it was a wonderful thing where we had really complementary skills. And when you find someone that can purely and truly be the yin to your yang, you can actually triple, quadruple the work, not just double it. And I think that that combination is why Not On The High Street's here today. So you had this idea, you approached Sophie, she said, yep, I'm in. What happened next? Did you raise money? No, we thought we had enough. Both of our husbands worked, but didn't earn big bucks. So we pulled a little bit of money together. Our parents gave us a little bit of money. We saved a little bit of money. We got a business loan as well. Was that easy, getting a business loan? Not really, but it was okay-ish. You know, we'd written a really good business plan and it was for £20,000. So we had this small amount of money, but we thought that there was complete contingency within that. And little did we know, you know, we launched in the April ran out of money in the summer because actually we were building technology that didn't exist. The only other marketplaces at the time that existed in the world were Amazon and eBay. And if I had known that at the time, we would never have taken this on. But we just didn't even comprehend that that's what we were doing. Naivety is definitely a blessing in those early days. 100%. Well, it's beautiful. So your £20,000 ran out pretty quickly. Yeah, it's a bit more than that. But yes, it ran out very, very quickly. Yeah. What did you use the money for initially? What did you invest in? Hiring a few people people, building the website, then the website that we built five days because we didn't know what the word beta meant. We just told every single member of the press that we were going to launch on this certain date. And then when we found out five days before opening our shop that we weren't going to have a checkout, we had to swing that one around and say it was a press preview. And within something like eight days, we had to rebuild the site. So we used that initial money to basically firefight continually. And then as Christmas drew, we realised that actually what we had built was working that the fact that we were making one sale every two days was because we were in summer and then we we were naive we said well we're not going to follow retail timetables like why would we Mm. and we completely did and so in that first year we did just over a hundred thousand pounds and ninety two thousand was in november and december (laughs) and how did you get the sellers on board i mean there are lots of people with great ideas but you know you need critical mass don't you for the 
customer to actually have an experience yes. and come back. Yes. For you, it was obviously key that you had a critical mass of yes. sellers on board. So but that- critical mass, although we were the first curated marketplace, so we still today politely will turn down over 80% of anyone that applies. And when we launched, that was 90% of anyone that applied. So we actually have to have a critical mass and yet the quality had to be high and we had to ethically feel that they absolutely would sell and that we didn't want to take on their joining fee for the buck that we would have that day, even though we were eating baked beans and didn't pay ourselves a salary for two years. But we wanted only people to join if we believed that they would sell. So when we launched, we had 190 partners. We call them partners, not sellers. And today we have just over 5,000. And how did you persuade them that they should part with that? I stalked them. I literally stalked them. Perseverance. They didn't understand what we were doing. No, because I mean, this was really the early days. I mean, we're in 2006. So people would ask if they needed a computer and a printer to join not on the high street.com. Their pictures were eBay pictures. They were very suspicious of us and they thought it was slightly like eBay. So I put something up and it's going to sell. We basically educated an entire industry on how do you persuade a customer through giving them an experience that you were used to in a magazine. And now it was going to be online. And then there was this other thing, which was putting your card details into the computer, which still people had a huge issue Mm. with. Hence, we started the catalogue era of Not On High Street, where we allowed her to feel at home with a catalogue and then sit in front of the computer because it wasn't obviously a mail order catalogue. But she could actually feel something tangible. And that really helped our sales. And how did you get your customers? So you got your partners, your sellers on board. How did you get the customers to come to the site in those early days? How did you market the business? We just pimped ourselves out. I mean, Sophie and I were our largest marketing free asset. You know, we treated the press very well. It was interesting for the press. What we realized in the end was we became a service for them. So if they were doing an article on yellow or they were doing an article on women in business, or they were doing an article on, you know, they needed an unusual vase or they needed to have a small business talk about baby wear. We became this hub that they could go to Mm. and actually find really interesting products that weren't on the high street. And also behind everything was a story. So we courted the press, we treated them well, we really made sure that we were pushing our partners out. And in return, they were very interested. So we had a lot of press, we did a lot of awards, because for us, it was about representing the community that we were looking after, and going after those awards. But you know, we didn't have money. So I would say it was about PR, it was about awards, any free amplification that we could get that was fitting for the brand. And then we did embark at one point we had 12 catalogues in a year so we were you know really big in catalogues at one point in time and that was successful for you very successful yeah very very successful because it helped people feel that they could come online Mm. and also we had models within our catalogues because we couldn't obviously afford you know remember we only take a commission from every sale you know, and so you have to add volume. So to create an ability to have marketing budgets to pay for a million catalogues is huge. Mm. So we actually started inventing new ways where the small businesses could buy a slot within the catalogue. Mm-hmm. So my magazine selling days came Can right back in. Yeah. <laughs> I found myself as a classified girl where I was just selling slots and everything. But we weren't going to give up on that. We knew we needed it. We just needed to find a way. Mm. So if that meant that we had to sell slots, 700 of them, and then that's what we did did. and what were the categories that very quickly became the most dominant ones 
Well, we started with fashion and baby and child and home and garden. And then one day, you know, I want to say it's because this was what we intended to do. But at this point, Snappy Snaps, I think, was the most personalised you could get on the high street. And Sophie and I, you know, were tearing our hair out. The targets weren't going right. You know, we weren't hitting them. And we just would always have a printout of the top 10, 20 best-selling products every day. And then suddenly there was this moment that we just highlighted every personalised item and we realised it was 80% of the sales. So we said, what if we did a personalised tab on the (laughs) homepage? And we did because we were so nimble. We did it the next day and we tagged all the products that were personalised in. And then really the rest is history there because it was huge. People were able to give a gift that really meant something to the recipient, but it wasn't just stamped on. It was actually created with care and creativity. Mm, and um, part of the craft, wasn't it? And it was part of the craft and it was so beautiful because the partners who were crafting that product really cared that mm. it was Betty's birthday. And so they would write a little card saying, you know, happy second birthday. And it was just this beautiful thing. It still is today. And it's now moving more into customization. But nothing beats that sort of connection that you get when you actually start to input into a product for the person that you're giving it to. Mm. And you obviously have dealt with hundreds and, well, thousands of partners on Not On The High Street. You've seen the ones that have done well. You've seen the ones that haven't. Clearly, personalization has a part to play. What else has a part to play? For people who are listening, looking for some tips and words of wisdom from you, what things were people doing? Was it all about photography? Was it about innovation? Or was it about just doing really nice things? We still ask that question today because it's a Rubik's Cube, really. You know, certainly putting your best foot forward with photography in this day and age. Now with Instagram, do bear in mind, we didn't have social media when we launched or anything like that. It is about the way you represent yourself, the copy that you write, that the description is great, the language that you use, it. well, it's well-written and the photography is fantastic. On top of that, though, whatever you're selling has to be able to capture the imagination of the customer. And so I always talk about emotional commerce. How is it actually drawing on the heartstrings of who's looking at the product? What is clever about it? What is its origin? How is it made? Is it quality? Have you highlighted that? And also then it's actually the halo effect, you know, the brand behind what you're seeing online. And then that goes into actually, you know, building a wholesome company and all of the touch points are covered. But yes, so certainly having that innovation, but through an emotional focus is very important. And are there any categories that have always bothered you in terms of their sort of lack of good products? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Because, I mean, we all I mean, know I'm jewellery is just... Yeah. Every man and his dog has a jewellery business. Yeah. yeah, but you say that. I mean, I'm basically a complete product-aholic. I mean, that's all I do all day long. I'm working a lot at the moment. Just we develop products constantly in my new business, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But you say jewellery, and yet there is absolutely room to have fantastic new jewellery companies, I'd mm. say, in the middle market. You go to Baby and Child, and it's fantastic. And yet, is there a new era of of children's products and I look at Europe for that and I think you know how amazing Holland and Scandinavia are you go to fashion fashion within small business is very difficult because of the sizing and actually that upfront cost that you need to put into your first collection and to then home and garden which actually I think is doing well and actually can really compete with the big boys so I just love every category but I just 
just always dream of what next, what next. So I feel like every category has potential. Um, such potential. Yeah, such potential. And at what point with Not on the High Street did you think, okay, wow. I mean, it is a huge success. But at what point, and I know as an entrepreneur, you never really stand still and think, well done me, I made it. But when did you get excited about what you were achieving? Probably like now, <laughs> because, you know, I'm just not satisfied really ever. And that's not to say that then I don't love what we have done. But I think because, you know, just as I look at my son, Harry, do I think that Harry is at his full potential right now at the age of 14? I don't. Do I think he's absolutely marvellous for who he is today? Yes, I do. So I look at it the same in business. You know, it's not to say I don't believe in every single thing that Harry is today or not on the high street is today. But I more look at, well, now we've hit this point. This is where we can now take it. Mm. And because everything in my world is based on doing good, it's about helping small businesses. I just look at the fact that, well, this is great. But, you know, we've got another 10, 20 years ahead of us. Mm. You know, people have their livelihoods. Mm. How does this keep moving forward? But that's not to say that now I'm just over 40, that I am now far more reflective than when I was 28, when I started mm. on the high street. So I now am building Holly & Cope. I 100% understand that I need to just take a second to understand what we're doing. Mm. But it was a different time. We were basically always on the edge of dying at Notton High Street constantly. So if we didn't hit those numbers we were going to have to make redundancies. And so if you felt reassured that you were happy in a place, it actually was the worst thing that I as a lead could do yeah. because you slightly were sitting back. And I had the responsibility of all of the staff and all of the partners. Every night that I went to bed, I thought, well, if we don't hit those numbers, someone can't pay their mortgage. Yeah. This someone, is on my shoulders. Yeah, this yeah. is on my shoulders. And talk us through some of the highs and lows of that Not on the High Street journey, which is not over. And, you know, yeah. you may say only just beginning, but, yeah. you know, it's been around a long time now. Yeah, there's, you know, different lows from launching a retail site with no checkout and having zero experience of even how to handle that. And, you know, we handled it. Missing my son's first steps, first words, crying to Sophie, thinking definitely that, you know, all I wanted to do was be a mother. And yet I found myself with a child, a business child that didn't stop crying. And I was neglecting Harry and I 100% thought I was going to mess him up properly. To raising money, you know, 0.5% of people raised money when we raised money. And again, naivety is brilliant. If I'd realised that, I don't know if we would have tried to embark on that. And we did it five, six times. And that is, you know, it should be along the list of death, divorce, moving house. I think those are the most raising money. Nice and raising money needs to be way over moving house. I mean, like, <laughs> it's so every time you raise money, you were obviously selling a great story. And because your eye was off the ball, yeah. sales would go down. And so there are real highs and lows. And I always said it was a bit like a lovely version of EastEnders. You know, there was always a drama and a high and a low in just your working day. So there were real lows and certainly growing pains when you take on more people, you walk into the kitchen, you don't know who that member of staff is. You think, my goodness, how has this happened? You know, you had 250 people, other people were employing people now, etc. So it's a world where the highs and lows are continuous. Mm. And some of the amazing highs were receiving my MBE for what we didn't quite realise we were doing because we never stopped to look at what we were doing. So receiving 
doing the MBE was incredible. But really those moments were when we had small businesses, they would come into Nottingham High Street each year and sort of show their collection. And as I grew within the business and was in the glass box and for 15 hours a day just doing meetings, I would always continually ask to have some of the same meetings that I'd always had right at the early stages. And I just would watch these small businesses, you know, come in, you know, with their sort of bags, Ikea bags full of things. And then over the years, I would just watch this person blossom into a business that was doing not a thousand pounds every six months, but doing a million pounds a year. It's what you watch the journey of a human Mm, being mm. and their confidence. And it was so rewarding. Mm. And so I think that for me, mostly I'd end in tears. And so would they in our glass box, we'd shut the door and we'd talk about how far they'd come or Mm. what issues they were having. And those were beautiful moments. I read that 14 businesses in 2015 were turning over over a million pounds. Yeah, yeah. It all started with not on the high street. It did, yeah. It's the numbers far bigger now. I don't have the numbers to date, but we've actually got a similar amount of businesses now doing two million pounds a year. And these are people who really did start from the kitchen table or from the school playground or from the artist studio mm. and it is just amazing to watch them go almost through the same journey as Sophie and I did Here's a cool fact A crocodile can't stick out its tongue Another cool fact You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They're winning their own awards. They've got their own employees. Yeah. They've yeah. got their Amazing. own offices. It's just unbelievable. Amazing. Talk us through the, the sort of latter journey. I mean, I know you're less involved. Yes. Not on the high street now. Yes. What's your role within the business and how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, I say less involved. You know, I wake up thinking about not on the high street as much as I ever did. And I go to sleep thinking about it. And everyone <laughs> gets these awful text messages from me at midnight. And, you know, it's like, gosh, she's not even in the building. And she's still <laughs> sending texts. I work very closely with them. I actually am in the offices at least once a week. And and working with the CEO and working with the creative teams and the product teams and the marketing teams just to help them. You know, it's not an easy path when you're basically redesigning a sort of industry and how that's going to move forward. And certainly it's 14 years old this April. So I'm very enthused with everything that they're doing at the moment. And so actually I'm working more and more with them than ever. But the transition was a difficult one. And it was when I realized that I needed to get back to my roots. I was slightly turning into a she-man, a couple of pairs of spanks on every day and heels, I don't know how high. And I was turning in a bit of a guy and actually I needed to realize who Holly was and what I had to give and so it was a decision and 
now very happily I'm working with the CEO of Not On The High Street and it's really in great hands. And that that led me on to say, well, then what does this community need? I then dedicated the rest of my career to small businesses. I've spent the last four years designing what that is. And two years ago, I launched a company called Holly & Co. And that has just been one of the most unbelievable experiences. So what is your mission with Holly & Co? To help everybody set up a business that makes them happy. So I know that's a big statement, but if you almost think what Jamie Oliver did to the food industry, you know, from domestic food, where we watched him on TV, we bought the cookbooks, we ate better food at our family tables. Then with an industry, what he's done to supply chain, you know, in Australia, he's revolutionized the farming industry over the deals he had with a similar business such as Sainsbury's. And then what you see him doing within campaigns, the turkey twizzlers, sugar tax, etc. There's a holistic about what he has done in our industry whether that was planned or not it's what he has been able to he, do he's been a man on a mission hasn't he yeah and so I feel like there needs to be a woman on a mission um, <laughs> when it comes to small businesses in this country or just generally to be someone's wingman to be the person that says you can do it and so Holly and Co really is on a mission for the rest of my career for the rest of my team's career to help people start businesses that are smart that are great that make them happy as I said and to inspire them, but also cut the bullshit out of business where so many people still have the imposter syndrome because they believe they need to be experts in business to go into business. And I just think business is so colourful. So I'm here to bring colour to grey. I mean, that all sounds, you know, so yeah. exciting. But what does that actually mean on a day to day? What is the business model? Who yeah. are your customers? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, just like not in high street, and I'm sure you've had exactly the same experience, you know, you can write that business plan, but then you'll never look at it again unless you need some money. Mm-hmm. So the idea of Holly & Co is I had to be strong and brave and allow it to be fluid So when we started Holly & Co, really where it will end up will be the home of small businesses. So whereas Not in the High Street is very utilitarian, I need to sell a product and I will go on to Not in the High Street and it's the best marketplace for small businesses. Holly & Co is about encapsulating the unexcellable elements of running your business. So anything from starting your business and the advice you will need. So what I looked at was this plight that actually small businesses didn't have a brand that they could rely on to give them pure truth about what it's like to start a business, what they're going to need, inspiration and advice. And we're not there yet. I mean, we're only two years old. We just were two on Monday. And so things that we have done is I've launched my own podcast called Conversations of Inspiration, where I talk to great entrepreneurs and try to get to the hub of those ups and downs so that other small businesses can go, oh my gosh, they didn't know what they were doing either. That makes me feel better. Yeah, (laughs) that makes me feel better. We ran an event called the Congregation of Inspiration last year, where I look to bring basically that American, you can do it feel to small businesses and stopped it just being small business networking and Mm -hmm. actually try to do something a bit different. Uh, So we had 400 people. It was eight hours long. It was the most 
unbelievable day. I think I had an inspiration hangover for about a month <laughs> after it. And then we've got physical shops as well. We actually, well, for one physical shop that I've had for two years in St. Margaret's near Richmond and just launching another one in 10 days time. This, and where will the other one be? It's next door, actually. So what we're looking to do is try and create some blueprints for other small businesses to get back on the high streets. One of my passions. How can we make sure that the in high street stays independent? And so I have a coffee shop in my first business out the front where we engage with the community and we change the theme every month because that's what I believe we need on the high street, which is theatre. So it's different vendors. Yeah, so we have lots of small businesses supplying this shop from food to lovely books and wonderful products. But we work out the back on 80% of the business. So my physical space is only 20% of the revenue. So that's essentially a concept store and then you're changing it around every month. Yes, and well, the new place is actually a cookery school, a deli, a restaurant, a bar, and it's going to be an entrepreneur's school. So actually it's got lots of space, lots of zones that you can change around. We call it a modern day community centre because I believe community is so important. And so that launches in 10 days time. And then we've got a few more launches this year. So over the next three years, hopefully people will understand what Holly & Co is because it's a number of mediums all coming together to basically help small businesses on their way. And what do you think the biggest challenges are for small businesses these days? I mean, retailers talk. Yeah, I mean, how incredible. Small businesses have never had it better at the moment in terms of starting up. When we started, there was no crowdfunding. You didn't have networking events the way that, you know, there are today. There are online forums, there's social media. So actually there is, you know, there's Squarespace. You can set up websites. Yeah, the barriers to entry are low. It's very, very low. But then yeah. that also means whatever you do has to stand out. And with technology, moving so fast and with sort of trend I suppose moving so quickly you can very quickly feel that whatever you're doing needs to be updated continuously Mm. and I heard someone recently just say you know slow and steady wins the race you know to stay so passionately fixated to your idea and do not allow technology or trend to change it because actually that's the only constant that you'll have is the actual product And I thought that was very good advice. Mm. Tell me a bit more about you as an entrepreneur and as a businesswoman. What is it that drives you? I mean, you've obviously had great financial success. So it's probably not that anymore, I would No, and I don't think it ever ever is, is it, really? I mean, people make assumptions, let's put it that way. The point is, is that the finances, et cetera, et cetera, and the money, it's all lovely. But actually, the point is, what drives me is that I have now committed my life to a purpose that's far bigger than myself. And I reflect on not on the high street and realise that was all part of it as well. So as my 40-ish years are here, I've now sort of realised what my next 20 years is going to be. And that drives me because I feel really calm in the knowledge that this is my community, my family, my bubble, and that this is where I will only exist. And actually, there's a calmness that comes within that you know that maybe it's not going to work out today or tomorrow or next month and the deal doesn't come in or whatever that is, but you are on a journey. And that has led to such peace in my life, actually. And it's brought home, you know, I think back to the days where I saw Harry for 10 minutes every day and that was it. And now my son just turned 14 and he would like to come and work for me. He even wants to not do his A-levels, which I don't know what I feel about it, but he's extraordinary. 
And I think, my gosh, you know, in our 29,000 days we have on this planet, would I love to work with my son who's extraordinary on this mission? Well, I would die a very, very happy lady. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like I've been very blessed in these extraordinary moments, but you can only see it in hindsight. So yeah, I feel very calm and very happy at this point in time in my life. Still very passionate though. Yeah. I'm still a bit of a hurricane. Well, my sister no, told me off recently way. for being, you know, she was just like, I just want to hibernate and you just want to not. <laughs> so, well, she's the founder of Holly & Co as well, co-founder. And she actually was employee number three. So it was Sophie, myself and Carrie, my sister. And so we've worked together now for 15 years. And so we're very, very different. But that's another beautiful thing that I have with Holly & Co is I've worked with Carrie for 15 years. My father was a CFO of Notton High Street for eight. He's now the CFO of Holly & Co. Frank, my other half, who wasn't part of Notton High Street, is now going to be the cook along with Lottie in the new premises. My son works weekends within Holly & Co and wants to come and work with us. So it really is a beautiful family business as well. I've heard you talk about that before and it's interested me because I think, you know, you get to a point in business where, you know, ultimately business is a dog-eat-dog world, isn't Mm -hmm. it? And, well, this is a Mm dog-eat-dog world, but you get to a point in business where I think you can feel quite unrelaxed about the people Mm -hmm. that you've got around Mm -hmm. you sometimes and everyone wants trust and loyalty, Mm -hmm. but ultimately people are looking out for themselves, Mm -hmm. which is understandable. Mm -hmm. Do you think having sort of those family members and things around you gives you that kind of calmness? But I would say that it's one of the reasons why Holly and Co. I'm not looking to build an empire because by very nature, when you scale businesses, you have a lot of people that come into that fold and everyone can be very, very passionate. But once you get to two, three hundred people and then beyond, it becomes quite difficult to have that culture. And yes, my family is involved, but there is another 10 other people that aren't my family. And I would call them my work family. I know that they would take a bullet for me. And that is the beautiful thing that we've got right now. And And how have you achieved that? Because I think a lot of people listening probably think, wow, that sounds incredible. And I want that relationship with my staff. You know, there needs to be a degree of professionalism, doesn't there? So how do you get the balance so that they would take a bullet for you? Yeah, I think, well, it has to come from within. And that's why what's very important in business and why I mentor small businesses is have a purpose that is beyond the product that you're just selling. So they know every day that they turn up, they're doing something far more than their nine to five. And so actually, if they personally, you know, at the weekend, talking to their mum and dads or whatever, talk about that subject, they get to do it all day long as their career. That really helps when the business is far more than actually just what I do in my nine to five. Mm. And then I think it's about the vulnerability. I'm very vulnerable. They know my weaknesses. I'm very honest and open about it. And I'm not trying to be superior to them. I think the greatest leaders are one that don't try and lead, but they have a following. You know, I call it, I go out and get the worms, you know, and they say, off I go. And so the mother chick goes out and gets the worms and brings them back. And, you know, and that's my job for this company. And they're all there to keep everything warm. They're the wind beneath my wings. But I think it's all about that trust, that vulnerability, that there's no bullshit. There is no other side to all of this. You can come to my home and see me in my PJs and we can sit down and have a meeting together. And I've got no problem in you seeing me like that because we're doing something that's bigger than me in my pyjamas. And so actually, when you get that level, I think it's like any relationship, isn't it? That intimacy and obviously very professional because they need to feel safe. 
as well, then that's where the real magic started and starts. Actually, I remember it not in the high street and it's here in Holly and Co. It's just you can feel it. You walk into a room and you sort of can feel it. But it takes time to nurture. And the second you have somebody that doesn't feel right in that, that's when they need to go. And actually, so many people find that so hard to do, Mm. but you've got to not upset the apple cart Mm. because it's a very fine tuning experience you're having. You're just fine tuning everything. And then suddenly something doesn't work out. People are very worried about letting people go. And you just have to say, well, it's just not right for us to work together. Mm. And you can set people free in a nice way. But lots of small businesses I know right now where the apple cart has been upset because they don't have the confidence to get rid of people who aren't working within harmony of the culture. Mm. Yeah, good advice. Got to, Sometimes people have got to move on for the best. You've talked a bit before about the fact that not everybody wants global domination and that's okay. And I just thought that was a really interesting point because I think as entrepreneurs, you're kind of led mm. to believe that success means global domination mm. and working every hour that you possibly can and only seeing your children for 10 minutes. And, and I thought that was a really refreshing mm. look at what success means and what mm. being an entrepreneur means. And I'm sure there are lots of partners at Not On The High Street who are actually very happy yeah. with a bit of a kitchen table well, business. Well, success needs a facelift, doesn't it, really? Because we're in this stage, aren't we, where the sort of alpha success the dragon's den, the who wants to be a millionaire, that sort of money and Wolf on Wall Street and that whole idea that materialism is success is still around us because it's almost from our parents and it's sort of is around us. You go and raise money and, you know, Silicon Valley. What I try and encourage people to do is say, right, so we've got 29,000 days on this planet. What do you want to do when you're 70? At 70 years old, pitch yourself. Now pitch yourself at 60. Now, if they mention Necker Island... Global domination yeah, is, is, is a requirement. requirement. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to make sure that happens. If they say, you know, I'd love to work with my son and teach him the skills within this craft that I do, I say, okay, right. And you can work backwards mm. because ultimately success is happiness. That really, truly is the ultimate success. And I love business and I love profits. This is not about this. It's about you can build successful companies that are profitable, that make you very, very happy. That give you balance. That give you balance, but your work, you're absolute behind off. And this idea of balance is actually a myth, isn't it? As you know, if you're though happy, why do you need balance? Mm. You know, I work all the time. But that's because, you know, I'll have fun with Harry and whatever, and then we'll sit down and we'll do something for my work. And then he'll go off and I'll carry on working because I love what I do. So that's when you don't have this sort of awful stress of trying to create balance. So I think success needs to be redefined. And if you have a good life, company where you can balance profits and happiness and you are more happy than you are sad and or stressed then you're doing something right and Necker Island and all of that is fantastic if you see yourself on that yacht Mm. at 70 but if you don't almost work backwards and Mm. start working out what does success mean for you I think that's a great place to end Holly thank you so much very welcome I've loved chatting with you as always (laughs) that's it for this week if you enjoyed that then do please rate review subscribe and tell your friends we'll see you soon bye-bye even on a budget quality is non-negotiable That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.